opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Welcome to Speaking Out for the Blind. I'm Brian McKellen. The star reports that researchers at the University of California or UC at Berkeley have developed a robotic guide dog. Really? A robotic guide dog? Here to talk about this technology is one of the canine's developers, UC Berkeley researcher and PhD student, Zong Yu Li. Hi, Zong Yu. Hi. Hello, guys. Tell us about yourself. Okay. Uh, I'm Zhong Yu. I'm from China, and I'm currently a PhD student at UC Berkeley. I'm majoring in mechanical engineering and basically doing some robotic stuff. Wow, that, that UC Berkeley is a big school. So why did you, along with a group of UC Berkeley researchers, to decide to develop a robotic guide dog? Oh, I think this is a good question. Like this, the motivation is very, I think, fast because I, we feel like to, to train a kind of actual animal guide dog, it takes time. The skills that in a well-trained guide dog cannot be transferred to another kind of animal dog. So this skill cannot be transferred. So an, if another kind of a visually impaired person wants to have a guide dog, we need to retrain a dog. But the, using a kind of a robotic guide dog, the algorithm that we developed to lead a visually impaired person can be easily transferred to another robot dog. So in this way, we can mass produce kind of this kind of a robotic guide dog to serve more kind of a visually impaired person who needs this kind of a dog. That's interesting. So we've got an autonomous robot that takes on the role of the traditional guide dog. Mm-hmm. How does that robot guide the blind and visually impaired around those confined spaces and obstacles? So, yeah, I think it's a very good question. So our dog, so our robotic dog, has several sensors. So it has a kind of a camera to check the people who being lit. Where is the human being led? It has a LiDAR to locate itself in the map. And it has a leash. So this is the kind of a key contribution of our work that our leash can go slack or taut. So this have a hybrid mode. So compared to a traditional kind of a robotic guiding system where you know they have a rigid robot arm. So this rigid arm will be easily guessed up in some kind of confined space. But using a leash, this kind of problem can be resolved. It is because that when the robot leading a human into a very narrow space, and the usual robot, the system gets stuck, and the robot can reposition and reorient itself to firstly let the leash go slack. Once the leash goes slack, the human being led cannot sense there is a force in the leash. So the human will stop. And then the robot will reposition and reorient itself to let the entire system to fit into this kind of a narrow space. And then after collision free for all the system, for both robot and human, the robot let the leash go taut again. And then the human being led can feel that force in the leash and then can keep following the robot. So I see how that works, but I'm sure our listeners out there are asking one important question. Mm-hmm. Is the robotic guide dog going to replace the traditional guide dog? Because many blind and visually impaired out there love their traditional guide dogs and and, and want to get the training and mm-hmm. you know have 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 a have a real friend i think this is a real question i i, I don't think it can actually replace the animal animal dog dog can be a friend of the human but i think the robotic guy can also be a complementary of the serving of the visually impaired person if someone is kind of 
needs a dog, when we book a dog, a real animal dog, and they do a deliver, kind of take a while to get the delivered. So I think with a robot dog, we can serve more people that has such needs. Moreover, I think that there's also some advantages of using a robotic dog. The one, one is that it can navigate in the in the real life because the, the robotic dog knows knows the map, knows the has the sense of navigating. If we just need to tell the robotic dog that the, we want to go to, and it will automatically find the path for you and lead you to there. But you know, for animal dog, that the animal doesn't have the sense of the navigating in the in the, in the environment. So I think there's some advantage of the robotic dog, but I don't think it can be replaced, especially in the outdoor environment. Although we current work is only limited in the indoor, our future work is going to make it to operate outdoors. So if for outdoor experiments, the robot dog can distinguish the traffic lines, can help, can know the how to how to navigate from if you want to go to the uh, if you want to drive, like the robot dog will be the Last mile, we'll, we'll serve the last mile kind of uh, guiding. We take out the, you know, the car and then the robot dog will help us to guide us to the home. So this has some kind of a sense of navigation. That's amazing. Um, Thanks. But, but, but from what you're saying, mm-hmm. it looks like um, definitely the traditional guide dog's not going to be replaced anytime soon. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, you, you explained to us about some of the features of the robotic guide dog. But mm-hmm. tell us more about how the new invention leads the blind person holding its leash. I know with the traditional guide dog, you've got a harness, but this thing's got a leash. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think the I think the leash can actually help us to, to make it work in a narrow and confined space, like our indoor environment, like going through a corridor, pass through a doorway, which is kind of a one meter wide. So I think... The leash is actually key to succeed in this environment because uh, we do some experiments, find out that we, we have some blindfolded person to do the experiments. And we find like if the if there is a force in the leash, the human being led will follow the leash direction and then follow the dog, the robot dog. If the leash goes slack, we feel like the human won't move because he doesn't know where to move. There's no force in the leash. So combining these kind of two characteristics, we can we build a planner to let the dog, when the dog leading a human into, into a narrow space, the leash can go slack and then the human will stop because it doesn't know what to do in the environment and prevent being collided with the obstacles nearby. And after the robot reposition and reorient itself and find a good position to let the entire system, the robot leading human system pass through this uh, narrow space, the leash will go talk again then the human will feel like we need to move away with the robot. And then in this way, the entire system will pass through the kind of a narrow space without being climbed with obstacles nearby. Mm, interesting. So um, as, so the system's got um, these range-finding lasers. Mm-hmm. What, 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 what do those range-finding lasers do? And, and there's even a rotating camera. Yeah. What does the robot's rotating camera do? Oh, okay. It's a good question. It's a very interesting question. So the laser do, he need to locate itself. So in, in this way, he can know where the robot is in the current map. We prebuild some map for the in, indoor environment and using the laser, in, in the laser that on, on board, we can know the robot position in the map real time. This can help the robot to find a path, to follow the path uh, to the goal location that we set. A camera that they can rotate in uh, 360 degree is to track the visually impaired person who be in that. So in this way, the robot can also know where is the human in the map. Then he can use his planner to help both the robot itself and the human being led to avoid obstacles. 
So this, since the LiDAR can also sense where's the obstacles globally in the in this kind of indoor environment. So in this way, we, we both know where the robot, the human is, and we all know where's the goal and where is the obstacle surrounding. So we can have a planning algorithm to help the robot and human to pass through this kind of environment while avoiding a collision. All right. So this device acts like a sort of GPS. It allows um, the users yeah, to program their yeah. starting points and their mm -hmm. destinations, where they want to yeah. go, along with yeah. this whole traje tra trajectory mm -hmm. and the location of the person that's being guided. With all of these features, mm -hmm. is that why the new robotic dog is so is just so expensive to produce? Um, I think currently, I don't think you're being um, very expensive, too expensive. With the mass production of our uh, coach better robot, currently we are using a coach better robot. Uh, robot has four legs. The cost can be lower to about around one ten k dollars. Those sensors are not that expensive, so I think the current cost about this kind of a robotic guide dog is actually around $10K. And I think with the mass production of our kind of uh, coach pad robot in the future, I think the, the price can get lower. Another advantage of us using a robot dog is that there's no daily expense for this kind of a robot dog just need to get recharged. Tell us a little bit more, explain to us just a little bit more so we understand better. Mm -hmm. How does the robot perceive its surroundings? Um, how the robot perceives its surroundings? So it's using a, a I think that the major sensor to to, let, to enable a robot to perceive its surrounding is the the 2D lidar, is the laser finding finder. So basically, it, it will eject the uh, a laser beam and then get and to to see whether it once it detects some obstacles beforehand, it uh, it will return. So there's a laser beam it can return. So basically, we can use this to know what the distance to the closest obstacles to the robot. Then basically we can calculate that distance to find the, the, the relative distance of the obstacles to the robot. So basically like a reflection of the lights. You can think about that. And then for the laser laser range finder, it has kind of uh, it is able to eject the the laser beams in all 360 degree. So in the in the range, it has many kind of laser beams ejecting uh, sending out and then receiving back the its reflections using the traveling time to calculate the distance to these directions. And they collect all kinds of laser beams. They, they know that in this way, they know the obstacles surrounding, the environment surrounding the robot. Are there any additional advantages of robot guide dogs over real life guide dogs? <laughs> uh, I think, uh, yeah, I think there are some disadvantages and also advantages of, of this. As I mentioned that the advantage of this robot dog is that it can mass produce. We don't need to retrain a kind of a, a robotic guide dog. We just need to copy paste our algorithm developed on one coach pad robot to another coach robot, to another robot, and then we can serve more kind of visually impaired person. And another advantage is that, in, in, as I said, has some, has some sense of a navigation. We, we just need to tell where we, we, we want to go. We want to go to office, we want to go to a kind of a door, and we want to go to outside, and you just need to tell the robot where you want to go, and the robot will help you to find a path from the current position to the goal location without collision. This has some kind of sense of, of navigation. And also in the future, may, we may also want to have some speech interface. In this ways, the robot, the human can directly talk to the robot and robot know, you know what, what the human is saying. And it can have a better understanding of the human. 
left inlet. So this kind of advantage of it, because we can add all the artificial intelligence uh, results in the recent years into kind of this kind of a robot dog to let it to serve to better serve our kind of uh, visually impaired person. But the disadvantage, as I mentioned, as you mentioned, I think that actually your robot doesn't have the emotion, doesn't have the feeling. It cannot be a friend of the humans, a companion. It's not a good companion as the as animal dog. Uh, with the development of our robotic, I think I can say one day that the robot dog can serve for a visual person in, in the real life. Now, you can improve the behavior of robot guide dogs by updating their programming without all that expensive training and time-consuming training yeah. of traditional guide dogs. How do you and your fellow research team plan mm-hmm. to synchronize the robot dog with smartphones and computers? Uh, okay. It's a, it's a very interesting question. So we have a computer on board to receive all the sensor data, like the image of the human, the laser point, like return about an obstacle surroundings, and do the, all the kind of uh, calculating about the, what was the next step of the robot should do. Like should be move forward, move sideways, you know, or just stop. So this is all, uh, uh, all computed on an uh, onboard computer. And then we just our, and our algorithm only send the velocity commands to the robot, and yeah, that that's kind of a very kind of uh, straightforward uh, way to do so. Yeah, we're curious if your team's getting any input from the blind community or if you're looking for blind testers. Yeah, I think that this will be very valuable if we can uh, have a actual you know blind visually impaired person to do the experiments. This will help us to improve our algorithms. So all the current you know, testing are based on a blindfolded person. We have actually, you know, all the, the subjects have a mask on their eyes. They can't. I'm also one of the subjects, actually. And I can actually cannot f- see anything you know, in the environment. For some blindfolded person, no, actually, it's not actual, you know, the visually person, visually impaired person. The strategy that we use, we kind of uh, decide can actually is not, I, I believe there may be some difference from the, you know, the visually impaired person. So I think, yeah, I think that in the future, we are very welcome if the, you know, we, we may want to have some actual visually impaired person to do our subject and give us some feedbacks to how to improve our algorithms and how to make the robot more adapt to the actual visually impaired person. Yeah. Do, do you have sort of a date or time when you're going to start this testing? Um, currently, not sure. But the, uh, not sure, but I will let you know, as, as you have your contact, if if I'm, we are recruiting some kind of uh, volunteer to do so, I, w- I'm in, I will be very appreciated if I can get help from the, you know, the visually impaired community. That'd be great. Um, what's in the future for the project? Um, I think uh, I think we want to you know keep doing this because I, uh, we feel like this project have a very good you know their response from the community com- from our society, not only in America but also in UK and in, in China. So lots of people, you know, there actually kind of animal dog, guide dog, the lectures for, for them because the number of the wheelchair animal dog are very limited to some countries. So I think uh, with, I definitely want to, you know, the push forward this kind of, uh, this kind of uh, research. So I think the next step will be to let the you know, robot to, to be able to explore the, you know, to navigate to a lead, leading a hum, uh, blindfolded person kind of outdoor environment like to, to, to detect the traffic lines, to cross the road. I think this will be a very cool, uh, interesting direction. Another direction is that for uh, some indoor building environment, 
we, we may want to let the robot to operate the, the elevator on behalf of the you know the blindfolded person. So we can we can let the you know, robot to operate the elevators and the lead the human, the blindfolded person, to take the elevators to travel in the you know in the multi in, in the in different stairs. So I think this will be you know very kind of interesting uh, the, the the future topic. Yeah, maybe on for another episode of this show. But um, is there anything else you'd like to add? Um, not really, but I, I feel like so this is a teamwork. Actually, amazing part is that this work is actually uh, done by a group of undergrads at the Berkeley, help of me and another PhD students. So I think, yeah, definitely we want to push forward to kind of make this better to help more, more kind of visually impaired person. Yeah. Zong Yu. I think you've developed the 21st century of version of man's best friend for the blind. And we wish <laughs> oh, thank you, you continued success. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Yeah, well, we are... Thanks so much for joining us today. No problem. No problem. Before we go, listeners, I welcome your comments on this program. Just visit and like me on Facebook at Speaking Out for the Blind or follow me on Twitter at Speak Out Blind or Speak Out for the Blind. You can also check out my website. That's speakingoutfortheblind.weebly.com. More information on today's show is posted there. Just look at the list of episodes and show news tab. In my show archive, visit acbradio.org slash speaking dash out dash four dash dash blind. Please note that there is a link located at the top half of the page and below the heading that says home speaking out for the blind, where you can subscribe to the podcast feed and listen to speaking out for the blind shows, ranging from episode 94 to the present. You may also access the podcast feed at speaking dash out dash four dash dash blind pinecast.co That's all for this edition of Speaking Out for the Blind. Thanks for listening, and remember to speak out. Here at ACB Radio Mainstream, we are always working to improve the quality of our programming. If you have any feedback about anything you have heard here on ACB Radio Mainstream, please let us know by sending an email to support at acbradio.org. That's support at acbradio.org. You are listening to ACB Radio Mainstream, connecting the blind community. Introducing Sunday Edition with Anthony a weekly magazine show featuring the movers and shakers of our beloved organization. Topics and news that affect us all, some great roundtable discussions, and of course, a lot of fun. So join me every Sunday at 1 p.m. on ACB Radio Mainstream for Sunday edition. We are friends in art. An affiliate of the American Council of the Blind. We sing, compose songs and poems, play musical instruments, read and write books, paint pictures, and take photographs. We are playwrights, potters, sculptors, weavers, and storytellers. We are members of the audience and patrons of art museums. We celebrate beauty in all that surrounds us. We are friends in art. Join us in the art parlor for stimulating interviews, thoughtful conversations, and the latest art-related information beginning each Saturday at 8 p.m. on ACB Radio Mainstream. Do you 
remember BPI? Oh yeah, Blind LGBT Pride International. They're a special interest affiliate of ACB. Yes, they are the ones doing all these cool things at convention. Guess what they're up to now? Do tell. Their own show. It's called Pride Connection. That's great, but what if I'm not a part of the LGBT community? This is a show for everyone. Actually, non-LGBT and non-disabled folks are known as allies, and they are a huge portion of BPI's membership. Everyone is welcome. So what kinds of topics can I expect from Pride Connection? Fun and relevant topics for everyone, from blindness to LGBT education, technology to advocacy. So when will Pride Connection take place? Every Tuesday at 10 p.m. Eastern. Be sure to tune in so we can all connect and learn while having fun. Pride Connection on On ACB ACB Radio Radio Mainstream. Thank you for calling the ACB Radio and Information Line brought to you by Xenomedia. 518-906-1820. That's 518-906-1820. To sign up for our announcements, send a blank email to radio-announce plus subscribe at acblists.org. That's radio-announce plus subscribe at acblists.org. I'm Marie Osmond. Choices, some are minor, others life-changing. But what if your small choices matter the most, like the stairs or the elevator, baked or fried? What if these small choices determine if you'll be the one out of every three women who die of heart disease this year? These choices might not seem life-changing today, but women are dying of heart disease at the rate of almost one per minute. Luckily, it's mostly preventable. Choose to act. Our hearts, our choice. Make your choice at GoRedForWomen.org. The First Amendment reads, The people shall not be deprived or abridged of their right to speak. The odds are... The person you just heard is an African-American. Because African-Americans are twice as likely to suffer a stroke as white Americans. That's twice as likely a stroke could rob you of the freedom to speak your mind. The freedom to shout from mountaintops. The freedom to tell your mother you love her. And it's twice as likely a stroke could take your life. Therefore, it's twice as crucial for us to do something about preventing a stroke. Learn. How you can help beat the odds. Start by calling 1-888-4-STROKE or go online to strokeassociation.org. Join the power to end stroke. A public service message brought to you by the American Stroke Association and the Ad Council. Hello, this is Dan Spoon, President of the American Council of the Blind. I just want to give a big hip, hip, hooray out there to our tremendous membership that does such a great job 